Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today in the show we're going to be talking about pulling your own soil tests and just soil testing in general. If you've got any questions for us though, we'd be happy to take your phone call 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or you can send me a note on Twitter agphdmedia or Brian Hefty. All right, so I've got a number of things that I want to get to today when it comes to the soil test. But before that, I've had a few questions that have come in here in the last couple of days that I just thought were kind of interesting. So one that I got from an agronomist yesterday was gnats. (laughs) The gnats in our area are terrible. How do I get them under control? So what I told him is, look, if it's me, Every spring, I'm going to start in my yard with imidacloprid. That's like uh, same same active ingredient as what you find in gaucho. Uh, so there's Merit. There are a number of products out there that are dry. What I'm looking for is the dry version of imidacloprid. You go spread that on your ground, and then when right after you do this, put an inch of water on it. So either you're going to get rain or you've got to water it in, preferably within 24 or 48 hours. It's not a huge deal. You don't have to do it immediately, but I would prefer to see it done immediately. And then um, it's taken care of and you're getting it working. Anyway, the reason why I would do that is now you're not only going to get this gnat larvae control, but you're going to control a lot of other insects too, including grubs. And this is actually where we started using imidacloprid in lawns years ago, was because of moles that basically people would have these mole issues and they'd say, yeah, I want to poison these moles. And I go, oh my gosh, that's, that's super dangerous. Instead, all you have to do is get rid of their food. Why are they in your lawn? Well, they're typically in your lawn because of grubs. So if you simply get rid of the grubs, then the moles will leave, and you don't even have to kill the moles. So anyway, that's the little little background on this imidacloprid thing. I would use it once or twice a year. Uh, it's got good residual. It's pretty safe. Um, it is systemic. So that'll help you out a lot on the gnats. Then what I would do is I would spray Tempo probably once a month. That's a pyrethroid. And the pyrethroids come from the chrysanthemum flower. So again, pretty safe to humans and everything. I mean, yes, you want to use your personal protective equipment and all that, but it's pretty safe. It's the chrysanthemum flower. So anyway, tempo, uh, that will control gnats. Now, uh, to take this a step further, if you want to make some little mix on your own to kill gnats around your house, you can mix up some vinegar and soap, and that will usually attract them and then kill them. Uh, One of the things we figured out years ago uh, is, so this is back when I was bagging soybeans and we were working the warehouse and everything uh, uh, with seed cleaning and the gnats were just terrible and we're sweating, you know, because we're lifting 50 pound bags constantly all day. And I don't know, somebody had this idea of putting these bounce dryer sheets in our caps and we did that and it kept the gnats away. So that's what I would tell you as well. And then finally, my great aunt, who lived to be 101, by the way, when she was probably, I don't know, 90 years old, uh, we were over at her place actually doing some Ag PhD filming. And she said, okay, guys, just come to the house. I've got something for you for gnats. We're like, okay, well, what's this mixture you've got? Well, it was 50% vinegar and 50% vanilla. And just rub that on your body, especially like around your neck and face and everything. And you may smell terrible, but it's going to keep the gnats away. 
So anyway, that's what I would suggest when it comes to gnats. All right. Uh, next thing is this morning I was doing, I do some training every week with a whole bunch of agronomists. And I was talking to them about fungicides. So I, I just had a couple of things that came up this morning that I wanted to bring up to you. Number one, we're seeing a lot more resistance, disease resistance than I even thought we were. So I know like last year in Iowa, there were a lot of cases of confirmed resistance with diseases like brown spot in soybeans or uh, frog eye leaf spot even is showing up way this far north in the United States. And those are resistant to a lot of the strobes. So the strobilurin family, that'd be like headline, quadris, avito. What we would encourage you to do so you don't have these resistance issues with the fungicides is use two or three modes of action. There are three common modes of action now used in the United States, and those are the strobes, so again, the headline quadricevito. Then you've got the triazole family, and then also the SDHI family. And the SDHI would be like Zemium that you may have heard of that is in Preaxor, for example, from BASF. So both in the United States and in Canada, these are the three most common modes of action for fungicide, strobe, triazole, SDHI. And we'd encourage you to use at least two and you can't even go three. There are a bunch of these products now that have three modes of action. They, they've got one from each of these families. So Nexacore, for example, in wheat or Trivapro. Uh, they're, they're just getting to be more all the time. The last thing that I'll throw out there is this. Better drainage and better fertility means less disease pressure. Understand that in wet years, in wet soils, that's where you have way more disease issues. And then also when your crop is under stress already because it's improperly fed, then it's more likely to get disease. And just think about this logically. It's just like you or me as human beings. If we don't eat a balanced diet, then what happens? We are more likely to get sick. So we want to feed our plants a balanced diet, and that includes micronutrients, sulfur. Uh, we, we just want balance out there of our nutrients, and we're less likely to have disease problems. Okay, then the last one, and I, I talked about this just a little bit yesterday too, <laughs> probably the most common question I've gotten from farmers and agronomists here in the last week is, how late will you plant, Brian? And my response is always, I will plant till we get done. Now, for you on your farm, you know, prevent plant may work out better. You feel financially, you know, that's totally your call on, on what you want to do. I'm just simply telling you what we do on our farm. We keep planting until we're done. And the reason why is simply because we have better overall soil health and we believe we can get a better crop next year and the year after that by raising a crop this year. Plus, commodity prices are already up. I am 100% convinced they are going up more because of all these unplanted acres in the United States anyway. So I'm going to keep planting. We're still planting corn. Uh, we're probably 80% done uh, on our farm planting. Um, probably 90% done on corn. But uh, anyway, we've got a few beans left to put in, a little corn yet too. Well, we'll talk about soil tests today on Ag PhD Radio coming up right after this. Sound the foghorn, because now there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Introducing Froghorn Fungicide from UPI. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, contact your ag chemical dealer. Always read and follow label directions. 
If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever, but disease can stand in the way like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. We're talking soil testing today on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. First on the show today, we've got Joe Thielen. He is with Midwest Labs down in Omaha, Nebraska. Joe, how you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. All right. So talking about soil tests, I guess at this time of year, I'm kind of thinking about these pre-side dress nitrate tests. I know on our farm, we're going to start putting more nitrogen on our corn Maybe next week, definitely by the following week we will. So what do you suggest a farmer does when he wants to take some pre-side dress nitrate tests? You bet. Um, well, he wants, um, it's going to depend on what he has to put out there already for nitrogen. That is going to determine what we do, whether that's through fall applied manure, ammonia, or just spring applied uh, starters, you know, uh, can have a little bit of effect on it. But when we're talking just a nitrate test here in the spring, um, you're correct on the timing. You know, let's get out there, um, foot-tall corn, you know, so you can still get in there with that applicator uh, even before, so we know what nitrogen we do have in the field. Um, and Oh, how about, how about depth? So do you, I, I mean, for sure we want to go 0 to 12, but how important do you think it is to get the 12 to 24? Um, it is fairly important, but we definitely, like you said, want to get that 0 to 12. And it, it, and that's different from a regular soil sample, which is 0 to 6 to 0 to 8. Um, yeah. We definitely want to get that 0 to 12. Um, and that 12 to 24, that, that can give you in case, you know, we've had a lot of rain. Uh, we might have had some leaching down, and there may right. be some nitrogen uh, down a little bit lower. Now, uh, let me ask you this, too. Uh, we think about nitrate all the time, and by far and away, that is the number one need for a corn crop in, in terms of applied fertilizer. But how about sulfur? We have had tremendous rains here over the course of the last year, so I can't imagine there was a lot of sulfur left in soils at the end of last year. And now, this year, if a guy did apply a little bit of sulfur, some of that might have leached away as well. Why don't we talk more about sulfur and uh, and its importance in this crop? 
Uh, sure. I mean, testing for that sulfur is uh, going to be, be very beneficial. I mean, uh, just like you said, sulfur can be very leachable, just like nitrogen. Um, and so adding that onto the test, uh, you just have to put it on the paperwork, and we will uh, add that to the analysis that we do for you. All right. So a pre-cidrous nitrate task test costs about 5 bucks, correct? That is correct. All right. How about the sulfur? If I wanted to add sulfur on, how much more is that going to cost? Uh, without looking at my fee schedule off the top of my head, I think that's going to be an additional, I think that's uh, 4 four fifty. Yeah, so what a lot of people end up doing, and, and when I talk to guys about side dressing nitrogen, I just say, look, anytime we're throwing nitrogen out there, we're usually throwing some amount of sulfur along with it. And if your nitrogen's leached, a lot of times your sulfur is leached as well. So whether you test it or not, I'd be at least thinking about sulfur. Uh, Joe, what else can you tell us today about soil tests? What kind of questions are you getting right now from farmers and agronomists? Um, I'm getting some questions in regards to if they put ammonia out there. How yep. much of that is still out there? And and we can do that as well, with, along with that nitrate test, run a test for ammonia. So maybe it hasn't mineralized yet. Maybe you um, are low on nitrate, but then you're going to be high on ammonia. Um, I doubt that's going to be the case uh, now, but since it has started to warm up a little bit more. But uh, just to make sure, I mean, that's there again, that's a $7.50 test. Uh, so... You, you don't know what you have out there unless you analyze for it. All right, last thing I've got for you for today. Just I know our topic soil tests, but I want to switch gears for a second and ask you about tissue tests. Are you seeing many people start starting to do tissue tests yet? And uh, what's, what's kind of your general advice on tissue tests and when a farmer should be pulling those? You bet. Uh, since we do sampling uh, testing from all across North America, uh, we've been doing plant tissues uh, for quite some time now uh, this spring. And so uh, if we're talking corn, you know, um, if it's in that zero to six inch tall range, go ahead and clip off the whole plant and send it in. Um, I like to use it for more diagnostics. So if we have some plants or areas of the field that aren't looking as good, I'll take a sample from there. And then I'd also go over into an area where I know it's looking really good, and I'll take some samples there and, uh, and compare and contrast just to see what we've got going on, what's good and what's not so good. Um, when we're at this height, um, rinse those things off. Because if there's any soil that gets down in that whirl, you know, from rain splashing it up into there or something, uh, that can affect our analysis. So just go ahead, rinse it off, uh, dry it off then uh, real good, and then send it in to us. Um, don't send it in on a Thursday or Friday, because then it's going <laughs> to sit in our lab uh, or UPS over yep. the weekend. So... Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are real good days for sending in plant tissue. Yeah, and in a paper bag as well. Uh, again, we've been talking to Joe yeah. Thielen with Midwest Labs. Joe, thanks for the time today. Great stuff. You betcha. Thank you, Brian. All right, next on we've got Anthony Bly. He is with South Dakota State University. Anthony, how are things going for you? Hey, pretty good. Uh, it's been a trying year, so uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, the optimism is still out there, though. You know, farmers are the eternal optimists, so yeah, pretty good. Uh, okay, so we're talking soil tests today, and with all these waterlogged soils and everything, are you giving farmers any kind of different advice this year when it comes to soil testing, more in-season testing? What are your thoughts there? Well, we, we have had some conversations about that, and and uh, I think my experience of the last month here especially is that producers are just 
looking at getting the job done and uh, getting those seeds in the ground. And there, you know, the general consensus is I'll worry about the nutrients later. And there is a lot of truth to that when you're being pushed by the weather. Yep. So, yeah, we have talked about talked about that uh, in season testing, and and uh, I, you know, I think it's a, a great tool because it's it's more close to when the when the plants are going to be using that uh, that uh, those nutrients. Yeah, and the thing is, this year, one of the big uh, things I've been talking to farmers and agronomists about here in the last couple of weeks is, look, a lot of these corn acres aren't planted. Your corn that you put in the ground is probably going to be worth a lot. And you and I are in the state of South Dakota, where I think prevent plant will be the highest percentage in the United States this year, which means our basis levels will probably be good. I'm just getting at, I want to treat my crop pretty well, because it's worth, yep. hopefully going to be worth some money. Are, are you telling guys they still have pretty good yield potential putting corn in now at this point or what are your thoughts with that well you know we can't predict the future and uh, if we look back in history when this type of weather pattern happened before you know yields weren't stellar uh that doesn't yep. mean it can turn around and be the be, be a really good year from here on out we we don't know that so i you know i think you go for uh go for you know if you've got a good stand and and you've got a planted in good shape and and those things, yeah, I think you go with the plan. But, but uh, you know, if there's some struggles with, with stand and other things, uh, our yield potentials are going to be less. And uh, and so I, you know, I think in that type of year, we got in this type of year, we got we got to take all those factors into consideration. So that said, if you were going to plant today, you're going to run pre-cydrus nitrate tests. I assume you're just kind of talking to guys then about, hey, you got a little bit lower yield potential. Uh, but the other side of that is, what are we going to get out of our soil with uh, nitrogen mineralization? In other words, it's been a really cold year. I don't think we're going to have normal nitrogen mineralization. Do you? Well, that, that's true, but again, we don't know the future, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> yep. if July and August is warm, uh, it can happen. Yep. Um, it can really happen then, and, and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's really, uh, uh, you know, farmers are, we gamble when we put that crop in the field, and, and uh, looking at long-term uh, averages and recommendations are, you know, pretty, pretty solid, and uh, I know we're increasing our yield potentials year after year after year, and we have to build that in there as well. But, uh, you know, the, the conservative nature of a farmer kicks in, uh, you know, this type of year. But, you know, don't miss stuff. And I, I heard you were talking about sulfur, and, you know, I agree with all that. Uh, you know, if we miss that, miss that uh, element and uh, everything else is good, you know, we, we could be cheating ourselves. And... You know, I really agree. I think those that have a crop this fall are going to be rewarded. And, and so uh, whatever we can do to, to maintain our good productivity, we should do it. Yep, I agree. All right, we've been talking to Anthony Bly with South Dakota State University. Anthony, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We are uh, going to talk more about soil testing right after this. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. 
Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. If you're like most dry bean growers, you don't go 30 seconds without thinking about the damaging effects of white mold. So let us spend the next 30 seconds telling you about Topsin fungicide from UPL. Topsin is a leading brand used by growers. Why? Because season after season, Topsin delivers superior protection and complete peace of mind. In short, Topsin works. So don't spend your time thinking about white mold. Spend your time controlling it. To get Topsin, call your UPL representative or distributor. Read and follow label directions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. We're going to jump right back to the phone lines. we got Todd calling in from out in Wyoming. Hey, Todd, how are you, do- you doing today? I'm doing really good. Thanks for taking my call today. You bet. No problem. I hear you want to talk about uh, planting dates on corn. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just curious about, uh, you know, if, if we're to get corn in late, I mean really late, uh, our biggest problem is that we may not be able to harvest it in the fall, but would we be able to, if we, I mean, if we have a great, a great fall, uh, then we win. But if we don't, can we still cut it for silage sure. and make it pay off? Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's one of the things that we've always done over the years. And a lot of people, a lot of livestock producers will, will absolutely do, uh, you just never know exactly what the year is going to bring. And the thing that's changed so much now in agriculture is, for example, our farm. We used to cut a lot of silage. Well, 
<laughs> once my brother and I went off to college, for some reason, all the livestock disappeared. So <laughs> our dad got out of the livestock business. We didn't even have his cheap labor anymore. And it was funny, when I was growing up on the farm, a lot of my friends were also farm kids, and everybody had livestock. Today, I look around, and there aren't a lot of people that are in agriculture right around here anymore. I mean, there are, but not as many farmers. Things have gotten consolidated more, and the livestock has really gotten consolidated. So my point is, like even on our farm, uh, we don't have any equipment anymore to cut silage, and if we were going to have someone else do it, we're not going to gain as much as if we were to actually take that grain and uh, harvest it that way. So for a lot of farmers, like myself, Yep, I could possibly do something for silage as an option if I can find somebody else to work with that has livestock, but otherwise I'm kind of stuck. And the big thing that we look at is when you have later planting dates in our area, the studies have shown over the years we just get less and less yield, and you know that's the number one factor. On, in terms of silage, though, I'll say this. If you plant corn a little bit later, so we normally like to plant our corn really early, about mid-April, if we can. This year, most of it got in in mid-May. But it's really cold in mid-April and even mid-May. Well, if you want the most tonnage on silage corn, you usually will wait to plant around here until late May because then the weather is warmer and the nodes are even uh, farther apart. In other words, the corn gets taller. The other thing we'll do to push silage corn is use gibberellic acid um, in the spring when the weather is cold, so we get more elongation of that stem. So anyway, a lot of explanation there, but that's just a little of the background in why we and many other farmers in the Midwest kind of do what we do. Gotcha. Well, I just uh, feel for everybody that's not getting their stuff in this year, um, and uh, I just uh, if there's a if there's a strategy that this might help somebody, one person, then hallelujah. You yep. have a good day. Yep. Thanks a lot for calling in, Todd. Really appreciate it. Let's go next down to Louisiana. We've got Cedric on with us. Hey, Cedric, what's happening on your farm right now? Uh, we're looking at a little rain today, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, other than uh, everything's way behind, but we're finally, hopefully, yeah. going to get most of our crop planted the rest of this week. It's going to be a couple weeks for some of our river bottom ground, but otherwise we're getting there. Uh, we're not used to having to deal with all this rain. You are, so uh, <laughs> uh, tell us, how do you how do you kind of get through when you have some springs where you're getting 50 inches of rainfall? Well, uh, we didn't have the uh, 50 inches. We had a, a very wet winter and early spring, but it, it's been dry here in the southeast part of the uh, state of Louisiana here for the last three weeks. But uh, we got a little rain uh, because of a disturbance down around uh, Houston. Yeah. A lot of Gulf moisture is coming up, but yeah. uh, uh, it, it should be good for the hay crop this year. Yeah, awesome. Uh, okay, so we're talking today about polling soil tests. What do you do on your farm for soil testing? Uh, this is my first year doing grid testing. Uh, I thought I was doing grid testing until I seen you and uh, Darren show people getting out of uh, AT off of ATVs and taking a couple steps to the left or right, <laughs> and then going down where I saw a pro. I was just uh, walking the fields. Yep. So um, uh, I uh, downloaded the Ag PhD app, uh, set up a grid, and uh, this year uh, we've used it for fertilization during the winter months. Uh, I got a question I need to ask you though: Was sure. it light soil in South Louisiana yep. and sandy soil? Yep. Manure in the fall, yep. will it all leach away by the time spring comes? No. Um, there is some of that 
that manure that isn't going to break down for quite a while. Now, you have way more heat than we do, but there is manure yeah. that, I mean, literally, it won't break down for several years up here or it break down fully for years. Right. So, yes, um, you can put manure out in the fall, but there's a component of that that's going to be leachable. So that's why, you know, I'm not going to tell you put a whole bunch of manure on or make this a regular right. practice. I want to get it as close to when my crop's going to need it as possible so I don't lose those nutrients. But, you know, you got to understand with that manure, yes, there are components of that that are going to break down over a period of time. So it's different than if I was to just put, let's say, urea out in the fall or something. Well, yes, then a lot of that's going to be gone by spring. Right, right. right. Uh, thank you for that advice. Also, um, uh, as a crop removes certain nutrients from the ground, um, I've, if I'm using uh, growing bahia grass yep. as a, a hay product, yep. you guys can add that to your uh, to your app. So I can see what would be uh, taken out from each cut or something like that? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm sure we could get that that put in there. You know, the the big thing when we start talking about these, these grass crops, and especially your light ground there, I just really worry about those leachable nutrients. So nitrate, sulfate, boron, those are the things that, I, I mean— Yes, every year you have to put those out, but for some right. some some producers we work with, they're putting some out literally every cutting. So once a month or whatever it is, they're going back with more fertility just because, like you say, that, that light soil and, and then all right. the rainfall and the heat and everything you have, it's just a lot different situation than what I deal with up here where I'm cold, I'm dry, and I have heavy soil. Heavy soil. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, Brian. Well, thank you for your advice, sir. You have a great day. Yep. Thanks a lot, Cedric. Really appreciate it. Good luck down there. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, Cedric brings up a good point. You know, when you start talking about that light soil, that is just a whole different deal. And, you know, as I say, okay, we're dry, we have heavy soil, uh, we're cold. Well, you know what? We have some lighter soil. And last year was record rainfall for us. This spring has been between the snow and the rain, almost record precip this spring. So we, we actually have a lot different conditions than we normally do. And the reason why I wanted to mention that today is because if you're in the type of program where you say, well, I don't normally do precidrous nitrate tests, this year you may want to do it. And you might not pull a lot of soil tests, and you might not ha have the information that I do from last fall where we pulled soil tests in almost every acre. And I can just tell you that the amount of nitrogen, the amount of sulfur that we had left in the soil at the end of last season, I don't care what the crop was, corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever, those levels were lower. We pulled off good crops last year. We had record rainfall, so there wasn't much sitting there. And I brought this up when I was talking to Anthony Bly earlier. You, you got to keep in mind, we get free nutrients out of our soil every year. Nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, it comes out of our soil organic matter. That organic matter mineralizes and releases nutrients for us. And that's awesome. But I look at this year as we've had one of the coldest springs on record. Well, the way that the organic matter breaks down, it's based on heat. We haven't had any heat. I, I mean, we have corn that, you know, we planted, I don't even know, a month and a half ago now, and it's still tiny. So there just hasn't been any heat, which means we're not going to get the same amount of free nutrients that we normally would. Now, Anthony's point was, well, in July and August, it could warm up. And I agree with him 100%. 
But here's the problem. I'm not going to put any more fertilizer on in July and August. This is my chance coming up here over the course of the next few weeks. So I, I, farming is a gamble. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just simply trying to play the odds. And when I say, look, number one, I got less fertilizer going into the year. Number two, I had way more rainfall this spring than normal. So I probably leached away a little more than normal stuff that I put on a month or two ago. And then third, I'm not going to get as much out of the organic matter, even if it's close. I know it's not going to be as much as normal. So I've got all these things that I'm taking a look at now. Plus, let's add on, we've got pretty good commodity prices, and I think they're going to get better. So for all these reasons, I think it's important to do some soil testing now and maybe throw a little more in terms of nutrient on your crop. We'll talk more about pulling your own soil tests and just soil testing in general coming up here on Ag PhD Radio. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Hey, Jimmy, any ideas for increasing corn yield? Rise up. Oh, I get up early and work hard. Rise up. Exactly. I could use faster growth, bigger ears, higher yield. Rise up. If only my yield could rise a few bushels. Rise up. Okay, Jimmy, I'm going to rise up. Yeah, let's rise up. His name says it all. Help your corn rise up to its potential with Rise Up Plant Growth Regulator from Valent USA Corporation. Ask your retailer about Rise Up. Rise up to a higher yield. Make more money from each field. Rise up. 
Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We're talking about soil tests today, and next on we've got our good friend Rob Dedman. He is a crop consultant from down in Arkansas. Rob, how are things going for you? Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Pretty tough year so far. Well, you know, it is, but that's just one of the things... I'm. Uh, I've been around for a while now, and we've been through some tough years before too. If it's your first time as a farmer going through a tough year, you're probably losing your mind. But I can just tell you, as somebody who's uh, gone through a few of these in the past, you know things end up getting better. Let me, I'll just tell you one quick thing. Uh, 1993, we had a very similar year to this year. Lots of unplanted acres in South, the state of South Dakota. South Dakota led the nation in prevent pla- or unplanted acres that year, too, just like we are this year. But you know what happened in 1994? Best crop anybody would ever had around here. It was phenomenal. So between the two years, it actually turned out pretty good. Same thing happened. My dad talks about talked about it all the time, 1976 and 77. 76, his story was always we had less rain than the Mojave Desert that year. But he said 77 made up for it between the two years we actually did pretty good financially so you just got to hang in there and uh, things will be all right so today we're talking about soil tests rob and i just wanted to ask you what what do you suggest to farmers for their soil testing program Uh, do you like grids or zones how often do you like testing tell us just kind of a little bit about your thoughts about soil tests you know um i'm a big grid sampling fan whether it's a uh the grid size being just kind of how detailed the farmer wants to get. Um, if I'm looking for problems, I will get down on a one acre grid just to really create a, a detailed map and create a lot of data to try to isolate problems. But generally it's a, a two and a half acre grid is what I like. Um, that gives plenty of data points to, to, to really come up with some, some good prescriptions. And um, so, you know, that that's the direction I like to go. Um, I think that there's there there's 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 value to some zone sampling, but I also feel like that within some of these zones we can get a too big of a zone and not get enough samples out of that zone is what I see happening to yep. give a representative of that zone. Yep, I agree with you 100%. We were just talking about that the other day here on the show. If you're starting to get up to 10, 20, 30 acre zones, uh, I have a tough time believing that you have no variability now in that zone. Uh, how about frequency of testing? Do you suggest guys test every year, every other year, every four years? What, what's your theory on that? You know, I, I'm an every other year guy. Um, I like to tell you, the way I, I like to look at it is, is, is sample this year, and, and then we'll, we'll use for next crop, we'll use those samples for this crop, after this crop, we'll use those same samples for the next crop, but we'll try to do some crediting for for the manures that we put out there. Yep. We'll try to put back some of, of what we know we harvested. We'll we'll use the uh, removals. We replace that. You know, kind of my goal is is, is if I'm if I remove say a hundred units of K, then I'm going to put that hundred units of K back. Plus, I want to try to build that because the sure. goal at the end of the day is when I test that again to be better than I was the previous year or more level. And, and, and I find that to work pretty well. 
and what I generally am seeing that it takes about five to six years on some of these these farms that have never been managed really intensely to really start leveling off these these, these yield maps. And, and yeah. I, I'm starting to see that on our farms where after five or six years, you don't have the real big peaks and you don't have the real big lows. <laughs> yep. You know, it, it's pretty even corner to corner. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Now, one thing when you talk about soil testing every other year, do you vary that at all? Because there are a lot of crops that are raised down there. Here where I farm, it's pretty much just corn and soybeans and guys will test right in front of their corn. They don't test in front of their soybeans. Do you have any certain crops where you say, oh boy, if we're going to put that crop in, we have to make sure we test in front of that one? No, and that's probably a bad fault of mine, but I kind of, because of the market and the way markets are and the number of crops, whether we've got cotton, corn, rice, soybeans, you know, a lot of times it will be early spring before we know what we're really going to plant you know if, if we yeah. have a, a, a strong car, cotton market then in the in the mid-south you know naturally we're going to increase cotton acres yeah. and and that that's cotton is king in the south you know and but if it's not then these guys have got to look towards their corn and their bean acres towards towards making a profit and so we we sample them I sample everything in the fall behind the combines, which is probably not ideal because I'm not really picking up what's in the the, the stover and the fodder. Uh, but it, generally, I get a good I get a good read on the pH because that's usually the lowest pH uh, yep. of the year. Yep. So I want I want to see what the soil is at its worst, and and then I'm looking at the, you know the stover as possibly you know hey that's that is I know I'm not detecting that in my sample really. But that gives me that insurance policy that the uh, inconsistencies in sampling methods and sampling uh, results from the lab, that helps me take some of that out and, and get rid of variability. But I think the key to it, whether you sample summer, spring, fall, is be consistent at the same time of year every year. I look back, and, and they're like, well, when did you take those samples? Well, I took those on August the 10th of of 18. Well, when did you take that last time? Well, I took them on August the 8th of, of 16. So I find myself being within a week or so every year. And, and, and it's not by intention. It's just by how it happens. So I, I think that's the key is, is, is same time of year every year regardless. And, and base your trends. You know, soil samples to me are not, they're not the gospel. It's about the trends you create from the data you collect over yep. the years. Right. And I, that's so. That's why I say be consistent about when you do it. Hey, one, and, and it, hey, if a, if a farmer if a farmer gets a new farm and he's got to test it in the spring, turn around and retest it in the fall. Get it into your program. One, one thing we did last fall, Rob, we'd never done this before, is we matched up our yield data points in our corn and soybeans because we have yield monitors and we can zoom down to right where the grid points were for our soil tests. And we did over 2,000 acres on our farm of one acre grid. So I had all this data on soil testing and I wanted to match it up on yield. So then that helped give me a better understanding for some of these nutrients like let's say phosphorus that isn't going anywhere or copper that 
that isn't going anywhere. Um, do we need more of that, less of that? Or are were our high testing phosphorus soils the best yield and that kind of thing? And that was super interesting. I was just wondering if you have done anything like that before. I've done a little bit of that and intend on fixing to do a lot of that. Um, I think that's something that's that's the next level that we all need to be going to. And, and, and you know, it's just the one thing that I, I'm, I get discouraged about on that is a lot of times we have so many software platforms out here. Yep. And we have, you know, I use one platform to, to – um, to sample on the farmers use another platform to record data on yep. and then we've got to use a third platform <laughs> to uh to, to to layer things on yep and and sometimes you've got all of those things and they get to where they're not talking nicely to one another and and everything and we come up with problems so the one thing that i'm looking at is, is yes we are gonna we are doing that we are continuing to do that but I'm also looking for that perfect platform to where we can get all of that into one nice package. Yeah, I'm with you on that deal. It was, uh, well, I just assigned somebody in our office to do it, and it took them probably a couple days, which I didn't really think was that, well, it might not even been that long. So maybe 10, 12 hours, something like that, it took them to do that. And I thought, man, that is well worth it, because now I don't need any expert out there saying, well, you need more of this or less of that. I go, hey, I got the data off 2,000 acres and 2,000 samples showing me higher tests on copper were paying. So you know what? I'm going to make sure. I have higher testing copper, for example. So anyway, hey, Rob, it's been great talking to you as always. Really appreciate the time today and good luck to you down there. Thank you very much. Good luck to you guys too. You bet. Thanks have a lot. Have a great day. Yep, you too. All right, we're going to get to your questions coming up in the Ag PhD mailbag. That is next here on Ag PhD Radio. Tired of that old warped poly boom ruining your spray applications? Express Boom from Hypro is a fully assembled stainless steel boom that ensures an even application of chemicals every time. Don't wait another season. Upgrade today. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. 
No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. If you'd like to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now. Got an email a little bit ago from Merv up in Ontario, Canada. He said, you were talking earlier in the show about using imidacloprid or Merit. Another good reason you want to get some rain on that is if you bag up your grass like I do, your bagger will suck a lot of that dry granular back up. Been there, done that. (laughs) Merv, great comments. Didn't even really think about that part too much. But uh, yes, we do want to get that imidacloprid watered in or rained in as quickly as possible. I know you had mentioned three-tenths of an inch. I like seeing a whole inch. And the reason why is a lot of these lawns have heavier soil, heavier black soil, and I want to force that imidacloprid down into the soil a little ways to get the best control on some of these tough insects like the gnat larvae and uh, white grubs. All right, next one is from Isaiah in Minnesota. He says, good afternoon. With the delay in planting this spring, is there any change to soybean planting depth that could be beneficial? Maybe help with quicker emergence and canopy. I don't have the ability to go to narrower row spacing. I'm planting on 30-inch rows. Thanks. I really appreciate your show. All right, so you brought up two things there, Isaiah. First of all, do we want to change the planting depth? No. Uh, One inch, and that's where we want to be. That should give you the best results. Now, I will say this. We have to be careful about that because it's common for people to get deeper than an inch. I don't recommend deeper than an inch. I don't care if it's cold, warm, whatever it is. I don't recommend deeper than an inch. But every once in a while, we will some people we will see some people, especially in the West, where rainfall isn't very plentiful. They will sock that soybean in deeper to try to get to moisture. And what I always tell people is, look, if I can get that, uh, let's see, how can I say this? If I can get that packed down pretty well when I'm planting to force good seed to soil contact, that's one thing that's good. But the other thing is if you kind of pack that ground and and some people will use rollers to do this as well, uh, then you get better capillary action where water will move up more. So anyway, uh, that's beside the point from your question, but All I'm saying here is, no, I do not want to change my planting depth. 
uh, I still want to be at an inch. So for your question, could I be at a half inch and it's still okay? It's still okay, but I do still want to be at an inch. Uh, and in terms of quick emergence, it's not going to make much difference now. Things have really warmed up. It was 90 degrees here yesterday in a lot of areas in Minnesota. Yesterday it was upper 80s, 90. Today it's 80 degrees. So the beans are going to pop out of the ground pretty quick. Uh, anyway, the other thing that he said was narrow row spacing. And I will tell you that once you get north, so you're in the Dakotas, Minnesota, southern Canada, then we do see that late planting when you have late planting, it can be beneficial to have narrower rows. A lot of times the beans aren't going to grow as tall. We want to shade that row. We want to capture as much sunlight as possible because we don't have a lot of growing season left. So some people have gone in and interseeded in between their 30-inch rows to get down to 15-inch or just gotten a narrow row planter or a drill or something like that. I will tell you, Isaiah, on our farm, we are still planting in 30-inch rows. Going to be doing that for probably another three, four weeks here until we finish up. We don't have a lot of soybean acres left, but we have a few, and we're going to continue with the 30-inch rows. I'm not terribly worried about it, but you do bring up a good point. All right, next one, this one comes from Willie, and he asks, how is that corn under the film uh, doing, the, in other words, the, uh, the plastic? And, and we had talked about this, Darren and I talked about this earlier this year. We got this plastic out of a company called Samco that gets laid right over the corn row. And I got interested in this because I had some guys from Wisconsin at our field day last year who said, hey, have you tried this before? Because we did, and we gained like 50 bushels on our corn. I said, well, I've never tried it, but if you're telling me you got 50 bushels extra on your corn, well, now I'm interested. What we've seen so far, it's basically biodegradable film, and the corn does pop up through it, but we are (laughs) underneath that plastic, basically, it was way warmer, 20, 30, 40 degrees warmer than where we didn't have the plastic. So as you can imagine, the corn is much bigger now. The corn's probably at V4 where we had the plastic and it's maybe V1 or V2 where we didn't. So we are ahead and I'm just anxious to see, okay, well, what kind of yield response do we get? Right now that stuff is very expensive. It costs like a hundred bucks an acre. Uh, to have somebody come out, put put the stuff over the top of the row and everything. But if it actually works, you know, maybe this is something that we could get pretty inexpensively going forward. For those of us in the northern part of the United States and in southern Canada trying to plant corn in the spring, as we all know, this is a challenge. It's cold. And if we can do anything to warm the soil up, that would be helpful. All right, next one here, a uh, question about our experience with NDVI testing pre-side dress from drones or uh, these Opti, uh, OptRx sensors. Uh, Darren and I, quite a few years ago now, used Green Seeker, for example. So yes, we have some experience with that. What I, what I fear is that we are too late. And if we're already seeing yellowing in the crop, then we may have lost some yield. But I I will just say with some of these sensors, they can tell if that crop is not as green and maybe a little short on nitrogen. So do I think there's some kind of future for that? Yes, I do. You know, I don't I certainly don't think that is perfected by any means yet, but I, I do think that's interesting and we can do more of that. It's just like the other thing I'd really like personally today, our topic was soil testing. I'd like to be able to test all soil, like every foot of soil 
as I cross the field. Just think of how awesome that would be because then I can put my fertility exactly where I want it. Now, I'm a big believer in grid samples or small zones for sampling, and you can do a pretty good job with that. But even if it's a one-acre grid, just think about that. That's 43,560 square feet. Okay. Are you going to have some variability in 43,560 square feet? You probably are. So wouldn't it be nice if we could sense that as we went across the field? Just like we're talking about with this nitrogen thing, yes, that would be awesome if we could. Uh, like I say, some of these sensors, they're okay. Don't, I wouldn't, you know, bet the farm on it or anything. You got to use some common sense too right now. But yes, I, I, I'm interested in the technology and I think it's got a future. Next one is from Javier. He asks about field bindweed. We did that recently as a weed of the week on IPHD TV. And he says, how can I organically control field bindweed? Uh, I don't have any real great answer. I guess I think there's some, uh, what is it, some beetles, some bugs that can can help you on field bindweed. But uh, back years ago, it's like 30 years ago, so when I was in college, right after college, I worked for FMC, and they had a lot of great entomologists on staff. And one of the guys who was on staff with him used to be the head entomologist at South Dakota State University. So I knew him pretty well, and I talked to him quite a bit about stuff, and we talked about some of these beneficial bugs. And he said, Brian, here's the problem. These bugs come in, and people get all excited about it, but what, what are the long-term ramifications of that? In other words, are you going to create a pest in some other crop or you know somewhere else because you brought this bug in to try to solve a problem. So I, I guess my answer a lot of times when I get questions about the beneficial insects, I say, well, yeah, maybe, but I, I just, I don't know. I haven't studied it myself, so I don't know if there's any long-term downside to that. What I would tell you, if you want to organically control weeds, you know what the answer is. It's go pull them. And I used to do that myself on the farm growing up. Not a whole lot of fun, but you certainly can do it. All right, uh, Dan asks, he's, we're talking about corn here, what's the secret to zero weeds? Um, you know, Dan, this is one of the things that we as farmers try to weigh out all the time. Do we need 100% weed control? I don't think we have to have perfect weed control, but I do know this. If we get close to or at 100% weed control, then we don't have as much for a seed bank going forward and our weed control just becomes easier in the future. And weeds absolutely hurt yield. So, I mean, we like to talk about all these new things, new technologies and everything else. Let's go back to the basics. We want great weed control out there all the time. And it usually means starting with a good pre-emerge herbicide, following with a good post-emerge herbicide, and making sure we have great crop canopy. That means good drainage, good fertility, good plant stands, all that kind of thing. All right, last one. We had a couple of comments from our Ag PhD Weed of the Week Common Mallow that we uh, did a while back. And uh, this is probably the most common thing we get from non-farmers. They will tell us, well, this weed is actually really beneficial and has a lot of health benefits and everything. And I always tell people, look, you can come to my farm and you're more than welcome to go out and pull weeds anytime you want. You can use them for whatever purpose you want. Love to have that. Unfortunately, if you don't show up, we got to use a herbicide. Well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff, thanks to our guests and anyone who called or wrote in with questions. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.